Conservatives are often accused of being heartless and greedy, but that shouldn't be the case. In fact, conservatives should be advocates for economic justice. My new book out, Pirate Money, it's all about discovering the hidden plan for economic justice and defeating the Great Reset. The book is devoted to economic justice and achieving it through fairness, free markets, and foundational truths. Our system has been rigged for too long to benefit the rich and powerful, Yet that wasn't the intent of the pioneers who founded and built America. When this country was first established, regular people would have deep conversations and debates about money. Even 100 years ago, what is money was a topic for regular discussion. It's about to be a topic again with central bank digital currency, something we talk about all the time on the program. But now, when there's a discussion, it's going to be about money that's being forced on us without our input, without our thought, and used against us. When we came out of World War II and the Great Depression, America was a land of tremendous optimism. That's when the middle class was reestablished in a huge way. Poverty started to decline. There was peace. There was prosperity. And that lasted through Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. Things were looking up. But then Kennedy was shot and Lyndon Johnson was in America's seat of power. He began a spending spree in Vietnam and also at home with his so-called war on poverty. This combination ramped up American debt at a rapid pace, and we're still suffering from it today. He was followed by Richard Nixon, and when he was elected, he actually continued the era of big government, adding new federal agencies and bloating our budget. This led to a crisis of confidence from the other nations, all the ones around us, the ones that we'd helped in war, uh, like France and the United Kingdom and others. They had supported the American dollar as the sole primary reserve currency. At that time, foreigners had the option of having paper dollars, or they could turn them into the U.S. Treasury and receive gold in exchange. The Fed was supposed to hold enough gold to back 40% of the currency we had out. But Charles de Gaulle, he was upset with America and policy, and he felt like he'd be better off with the gold than with the paper dollars. So he started to ask for the gold exchange. President Nixon feared a run on the bank. And as an emergency, in response to that, he chose to temporarily close the gold window. He said it was temporary, but that move completely decoupled our paper dollar from any backing other than the full faith and credit of the United States government. About that time, Nixon arranged to deal with the Saudis that oil would only be traded in American dollars, and that forced other nations to hold our paper. One perhaps unintended consequence, however, became the financialization of our entire economy. As a kid, I remember that you wanted anything that you bought to be made in America. But after 1971, that changed. Foreign cars became preferred, foreign electronics, foreign furniture. We didn't have to manufacture in America. America was all about financialization. The power shifted from Detroit and Main Street to Wall Street, and that's where the real money was made. The rich got richer through stocks, bonds, and financial derivatives. The middle class lost ground, and the poor got trapped in a welfare system. And inflation, it emerged in a huge way. What cost a dollar in 1971 cost maybe $8 today? Even in the past 20 years, just since uh, 2003, prices have gone up something like 75%.
And they're up 20% just the year, since the year 2000, 20. So what's the cause? Let me read something from Global Times. They write, since the 1970s, income inequality and wealth disparity in the United States have continually deepened. The rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer, and the middle class is squeezed. Today, these perilous trends continue. The middle class is shrinking. A middle-class America was formed in some 20 years from the end of World War II to 1970. Afterward, however, despite the continued growth of the U.S. economy, the middle class has not expanded but shrunk significantly. The share of American adults who live in middle-income households fell from 61% in 1971 to 51% in 2019. Now, Global Times, they get the outcome right but they miss the actual cause. They blame partisanship, racial inequality, and the institution of capitalism. Now, those may have had some impact, but their own data clearly shows a growing middle class from 1945 until the early 1970s. So let me ask, was race truly less of a problem before the civil rights movement than it was after? No, I don't think so. Did we abandon capitalism in 1945 and pick it back up in 1970? No, of course not. Obviously, there are many factors at work, but one huge one and maybe the most important factor is too often overlooked, and that was the total rejection of sound money for a purely fiat currency in 1971 under Nixon. This was like you know playing Monopoly and somebody gets mad and flips the board, and then they put the bankers in charge of everything. It was the start of financialization of our economy, the source of the rich getting richer. Before 1971, America got wealthy by making things. But over the past 50 years, the primary path to wealth has been making money with money, the very definition of financialization. But let's be clear, by abandoning the last vestiges of the gold standard, that is what opened the door to financialization. From Invest Investopedia, it says the beginnings of financialization in the United States can be traced back to the 1950s. However, the financial sector didn't expand until much later in the 20th century after the collapse of the Bretton Woods system. The Bretton Woods Agreement, which tied international currencies to the U.S. dollar and anchored the dollar to gold, created predictable exchange rates and limited speculation. Thus, when this fell, a new period marked by free trade and the free movement of capital began. This also created instability in the global markets from which the financial industry has profited. From Industry Week, it says, financialism is totally about making money from money and has nothing to do with creating jobs or shared prosperity. It is no coincidence that the rise of financialization has happened during the decline of manufacturing, middle-class income, and capital investment and the rise of inequality. It's also no coincidence that during the same period there was an enormous shift of wealth to the top 10% of the earners at the expense of the bottom 90%. Financialization is about risky trading and the return on net assets that benefit shareholders but not the economy that could lead to long-term growth. Financialization is not a good long-term strategy for manufacturing or the economy. We're going to need to take a break. When we come back, we'll explain financialization and what we ought to be doing about it. Quoting Industry Week, the financial sector used to be the servant of business. 
which funnel money into productive enterprises. Today, they are the masters who dictate to business. They're creating a debt bubble that could lead to another financial collapse and bailout. We ignore it at our peril. Okay, that's something that I've been sharing on this program for five years. Financialization is a threat. Now, saying this is going to make me very few friends on Wall Street, and that's the mecca of my chosen profession. But I'm not about making money here. Rather, we're about saving America and doing what's right. I guess we're economic justice warriors. You should be, too. If ending the gold standard created the environment for the problems, it stands to reason that returning to a sound money system must be part of the solution. Here's a quote from Thomas Jefferson. He said, Paper is poverty. It is only the ghost of money and not money itself. Guess what? This is paper without anything backing it. Here's another example of it. Here is $100 trillion from the Federal Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. Here's ein million Mark from Weimar, Germany in 1923. And here is a Continental uh, produced by, in 1776 in Philadelphia where they didn't have anything to back it up. They promised to back it up, but they didn't. Those are all examples of paper money. Jefferson is right. Here's a quote from J.P. Morgan. Morgan says, gold is money. Everything else is credit. But under Richard Nixon in 1971, we abandoned the last vestiges of the gold standard in America. And since that time, we've seen inflation, a shrinking of the middle class, and a group of wealthy elite take control of government, industry, and everything else. Here's a question. How did Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, get to be one of the most powerful people on the planet? BlackRock is an investment manager. But now, BlackRock has been dictating to companies who should lead them, who they can hire, what they must do in terms of ESG and DEI, causing Bud Light, Disney, and Target to offend their core customers and lose money. All of this is the direct result of financialization and the sad reality that our paper money is just that, paper. The elite class is the rich getting richer, pushing paper at us at first, but now they're just playing with ones and zeros on computers. They're using derivatives. Uh, Warren Buffett calls these financial weapons of mass destruction. They're doing it to make themselves rich, but they put all of the rest of us at risk. This has happened over the last half century, slowly at first, but eventually dominating the economic landscape. And it started with abandoning the gold standard in 1971. But that should come as no surprise. Consider these quotes. James Madison, the architect of the Constitution, said, paper money is unjust. It is unconstitutional, for it affects the rights of property as much as taking away equal value in land. Jefferson, I quoted papers, poverty, Alexander Hamilton, to emit an unfunded paper as the sign of value ought not to continue a formal part of the Constitution, nor ever hereafter to be employed, being in its nature pregnant with abuses and liable to be made the engine of imposition and fraud, holding out the temptations equally pernicious to the integrity of government and to the morals of the people." To say that the founders of this nation hated unbacked paper money is an understatement because they loathed it. And more importantly, they feared it. They knew it would bring destruction from the addiction to the printing press and the inevitable greed of humanity. And it has led to the financialization of our economy. But here's the problem. 
250 years ago, people debated money. They talked about it. 100 years ago, it was a common point of discussion. Even 50 years ago, that was true, but not so much today. People have no concept of what money is or should be. So we put up with dirty green pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents and that say Federal Reserve at the top. And we say, well, that's money. It's always been money. No. Unbacked paper money loses purchasing power, but real money is defined by those who founded this nation. And you can go further back to the Bible days. It's always been silver and gold. People forget that. And that is what's led to our massive wealth gap that we have. Now, I had a client. She was a beautiful, wonderful lady named Miss Joy. She lived in Chicago. When she passed away, the executors of her estate had to deal with the stocks and bonds there, but they also opened up her safe in her house and found three rolls of gold coins. It took eight weeks to get those coins sold and transacted and turned into cash to be distributed to the heirs. We had to find a buyer. We had to find a way to get the gold to them. It had to be valued and it had to be weighed and it had to be sent back. It was a complex thing. Now, do you think the middle class can afford to buy gold knowing that it might take eight weeks to get your money out of it? What if a dishwasher were to break and you put your savings and, oh, I need to get the money out? You can't wait eight weeks. With financialization, we have people making money out of money. But the rest of us may be scraping by. Inflation is killing our budget. We ought to buy gold and silver to protect ourselves, but it's complex to deal with. That's why how to buy gold became a top Google search term. Quoting from the Wall Street Journal earlier this year, they said, for three years, Mitch Day rode Bitcoin's wild swings through the record highs of 2021 to the cold water plunge of 2022. Mr. Day and a number of his cryptocurrency compatriots have since turned to the asset favored by Pharaohs, Pirates, and Scrooge McDuck, helping drive an outbreak of gold fever. Gold was prized by ancient Egyptians and Incans. It lured European explorers to the New World and the original 49ers to California. The precious metal remains a staple in investors' portfolios, prized for stability and a hedge against inflation. Mr. Day knows gold isn't going to take him to the moon, echoing the lingo of traders who believe a particular cryptocurrency may skyrocket in value. He buys gold coins to preserve his wealth. Bitcoin shares common qualities with gold. Both are mined. Neither is wallet-friendly, and they're virtually useless for buying gas, groceries, or a movie ticket. Now think about that. What that last line says is that we want gold to protect and preserve our wealth, but it's useless for buying gas, groceries, or a movie ticket. So who can afford to buy gold? Maybe Bitcoin speculators, maybe the very wealthy. But how about the average American? What do they do? Can you spend it? Can I take this piece of eight silver coin, which was, by the way, an original dollar recognized by the founders? That term dollar is a Spanish mill dollar, meaning this silver coin, which is 0.77 ounces of silver. Can I take that and go and buy a cup of coffee with it? What am I going to do? Cut it? Well, actually, they did. They cut them into pieces of eight. This is a piece of eight. But it's not convenient. It's not easy to use. It is not, according to the Wall Street Journal, wallet-friendly, and it's virtually useless for buying gas, groceries, or even a movie ticket. That's the challenge that we're facing. How do we bring economic justice in an overly financialized economy and at the same time give 
the middle class and the average American the opportunity to preserve their wealth like this. We need to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to lay out our plan for economic justice, and it is pirate money. Here we are today. Our money has no backing other than the confidence and full faith and confidence in the U.S. government. That's faltering. Other nations want to remake the global monetary system. The petrodollar is ending because uh, Saudi Arabia is selling oil in things other than dollars, like Chinese yuan. Fiat paper money is being phased out by electronic versions. You know, central bank digital currencies, we're on the cusp of that, issued by the Federal Reserve with unlimited creation and the total draconian control provided by the federal government. Does this mean that our founders warned us and then stuck us with an evil fiat monetary system from which we cannot escape? Say it isn't so. Well, I have good news. I told you it's pirate money. You got to get the new book out. It's all about economic justice. It's all about beating the Great Reset. But I'm going to give you a sneak peek of the solution. As we've explained, under the Constitution, a state like Texas, or really any state, can establish a bullion depository or a bank and declare gold and silver as legal tender using the authority granted in Article 1, Section 10. That state can actually open accounts for depositors and then buy gold and silver on their behalf and make it transactional using a debit card like this one. They'll keep the records. They'll sell gold and silver when the depositors want to cash out. So here's how it works. You send them this kind of money, they turn it into this kind of money, they hold it on account, and then they give you this so that when you want to spend it, you can. You can operate in an entire personal gold and silver standard system, optional. You can go and keep using U.S. dollars if you want, but shouldn't you have an option? The technology exists and it works today. And because the holdings there would be legal tender declared by the state, they're probably not even subject to capital gains tax if they hold their value during inflation. I'll give you an example. Gold was $35 an ounce in 1971. It's $2,000 an ounce, give or take, right now. That means that you got a massive gain if you bought gold and you have to pay tax on it. But if it's legal tender, you do not have to pay tax. So the middle class would have a simple way to buy, sell, and transact in gold and silver. Remember, the Wall Street Journal, I told you, they said, you can't even buy a movie ticket with it. Well, you can't with a debit card? Of course you can. You can have an optional gold and silver standard that you can join with at least a part of your assets. The downsides of illiquidity, capital gains tax, storage taxes, and just the complexity of learning how to buy and sell gold would be vanquished. All the upside of gold doubloons and silver pieces of eight, you know, pirate money, with none of the headaches thanks to modern technology. I know it works. I've got an app on my iPhone called Glint, and it, I've used it. I put money there, they bought gold, and I've spent it at a restaurant. Now, all of that's good, but it's not issued by a state, and therefore it's not officially money. Can a state do this? Is it legal? Yeah. Article 1, Section 10. The founders said that states can't coin money, they can't emit bills of credit, but they do allow this one single provision. They said, essentially, that a state can make nothing other than gold and silver coins tender for payment of debts. And with that small phrase in Article 1, Section 10, they open the door 
that based on all the research I've done, and I've looked at the Constitution, I've read the Founders, I've read Supreme Court cases, I've read this book, Pieces of Eight, by Edwin Vieira and everything he's written, and I'm gonna tell you, we can do this. This is a legitimate alternative monetary system that can be set up in any state. And I chose Texas for several reasons. One, I live here. Number two, they already have a bullion depository that I was encouraging them to build. And number three, we know some members of the legislature. So we tried this. In the 88th Texas legislature, we developed a plan and we got very far with it, but it didn't pass. We're not giving up. I've written the book Pirate Money as a treasure map to implement state-based gold and silver money. Pieces of eight and gold doubloons made modern with electronic payment capabilities, just like that Glint example. That new book, Pirate Money, it explains it all. You can learn more at piratemoneybook.com and get copies of it. This is about economic justice. Because in the early parts of this nation, people knew what money was. It held its value. It wasn't unbacked paper money. And it gave everyone the opportunity to build. And what did we build? We built the greatest manufacturing economy on the planet. Detroit was the wealthiest city on the planet at one point because we manufactured things and people believed in the American dream. And here's the problem. When China came along after we financialized the economy, they said, hey, we'll build it here. We'll give you cheap labor. We'll, we'll give you access to raw materials. They didn't have the same regulations and so forth. And so the great industrial might of America said, okay, well, we'll just run it from here. We'll just own pieces of paper that says we own that and let you do it. And what did they do? They stole our technology. They stole our um, pharmaceuticals industry. They stole so many aspects of what we're doing. This is not economic justice. This is the rich getting richer at the expense. This is why I wrote the book Game Plan, the elite secret plan to sabotage America. This is the financialization of our economy. And you know what? We have the solution for it. The solution, one of them, is to go back to sound money principles. Who wants the Zimbabwe or the Weimar Germany or the Continental or even the paper dollar backed by nothing? And you can help. You can make a difference. Number one, we need to encourage Texas. Go to transactionalgold.com. Use the Take Action button. We are preparing for a special session in the Texas legislature if they'll call it. If not, we'll go to the 89th legislature. But we need to encourage the governor and local representatives that they need to pass transactional gold and silver. You can learn more at transactionalgold.com. The second part of our plan is we need to encourage other states. If you don't live in Texas, who in your state could support transactional gold and silver? Do you know the governor? Do you know a legislator? Do you know anyone who does? Help us reach them. We already have interest from Oklahoma, as indicated by a letter from the treasurer, Todd Russ. And we've begun discussions with officials in Utah, South Carolina, Arizona, Alaska, Michigan, Florida, Texas, Missouri, Kansas. You know, if you put all those states together, it's the third largest economy on the planet. We've proposed model legislation, and we have a bullion depository ready to be available to any other state. So if you have contacts with other states, let us know. And the third part of our plan is to spread the word. That's why I wrote the book, Pirate Money. Help us get the word out. Now, you can go to transactionalgold.com, learn more about the plan, and you can make your voice heard there. 
And if you've got contact with media, give them to us. This is the answer to the money problems we've outlined. It's the way to beat inflation. It's the way to bring economic justice. It's the way to personally opt out of the paper money standard. It's the secret of pirate money. The time is short, but the prize is great. We're all about preserving liberty, security, and values. You can learn more at economicworm.com. You can go there and sign up for our free weekly battle plans, and we'll send you a email each week. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.